Take your Bible this morning. Let's go to Acts chapter 12. Isaac, thank you, friend. Saw you playing football Fridays a week ago. Grateful for you. Remember when he came into the world, just a young un, uh, grateful to God for that high school senior. And Andrea, thank you uh, for singing. Married to our college minister. They had a marvelous conference this weekend. And uh, grateful for these and all of our music folks this day and glad that you are here we're making our way through the book of Acts. We come to the 12th chapter today and we're going to read the full chapter verses 1 through 25. I was standing out here greeting people as they came in this morning. Husband and wife stopped and said we have a question. I said yes. They said how far in advance do you prepare your sermons? I said well I'm a week to week preacher. Uh, I'll start this afternoon on next week. I already know where I'm going in the 13th chapter, and I kind of lay that out all in front of us, but uh, I start and uh, whatever we get, you know, uh, Sunday comes every five days in a preacher's life, so uh, you got to get with it. Well, I've been in Acts chapter 12 for a little while and grinding back, just reading through, but my preparation started on Monday, and uh, I didn't think it was ever going to come together, but Thursday just rose up right out of the Word of God, what I think I need to share with our church family today. A message entitled, God's Weapons in Spiritual Warfare. Acts chapter 12, we begin in verse 1. You follow along as I read because this now is the Word of our great God. Now about that time, Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. That means he cut his head off. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. That was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out before the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church to go. And on the very night when Herod was about to bring him forward, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and guards in front of the doors were watching over the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared, and a light shone in the cell, and struck Peter's side, and woke him up, saying, Get up quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Gird yourself, and put on your sandals, and he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and continued to follow and did not know uh, that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. And when they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate that leads into the city, which opened for them by itself. And they went out and went along one street and immediately the angel departed from him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know for sure that the Lord has sent forth his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all the Jewish people uh, were expecting. And when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was also called Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gate, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. And she recognized Peter's voice. Because of her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter was standing in front of the gate. And they said to her, you're out of your mind. 
Now, this, this is a humorous account here, I think. They're in a prayer meeting praying for the guy to get out of jail, and when they get the report, they say the reporter's crazy. But she kept insisting it was so, and they kept saying, it's his angel. Peter continued knocking, and when they had opened the door, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had led him out of the prison and said, report these things to James and to the brethren. And he left and went to another place. Now when day came, there was no small disturbance among the soldiers as to what had become to Peter, of Peter. When Herod had searched for him and had found him, he examined the guards and ordered that they be led away to execution. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and was spending time there. Now he was very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. With one accord they came to him, and having won over Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they were asking for peace because their country was fed by the king's country. On an appointed day, Herod, having put on his royal apparel, took his seat on the rostrum and began delivering an address to them. The people kept crying out, the voice of a God and not of a man. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give God the glory and was eaten by worms and died. But the word of the Lord continued to grow and to be multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their mission, taking along with them John, who was also called Mark. In our world, there is a kingdom of Herod and a kingdom of God. There is the power of Rome and there is the power of heaven. There is a human nation, and there is a holy nation. That's what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9 when he describes the people of God as a royal priesthood and a holy nation. Herod, in our text, the godless, humanistic, Roman nation, has come against the church. As it says in verse 1, Herod came to lay hands on some who belonged to the church in order to, the King James says, vex, V-E-X, to vex them. That word translated here in the New American Standard, we understand a little bit clearer, is to mistreat them. And then he took James and lopped his head off. And then he saw that the Jews liked that uh, because he was ruling among the Jews. He said, get Peter too, and he's going to kill him, but it's Passover. And he said, he dares not do that during Passover, but locks him in the prison. We are no doubt in a day in our own nation where there is a Herodian spirit coming against the spirit of truth. The U.S. Constitution, with its First Amendment, promises freedoms of speech, religion, press, assembly, and petition toward the government. Those things are still in place. However, there is an erosion 
going on in our own land in which we live. This Herodian spirit is rising and rising and rising and rising. The clash is there between truth and falsehood, between Rome and the church. God's got a plan. He's always got a plan. He has weapons to use when these kind of clashes come, and they are in our culture now. Why, I remember as a kid, and I'm not that old. I was just a kid. We read the Bible every morning in school, public school. Read it every morning. Miss Satterfield, she'd bust your bottom if you didn't listen while he's reading the Bible. Why, if you tried to start your class in a public schoolhouse today by reading the Bible, you would last about a nanosecond. ACLU would have you dragged out by your heels and you'd be on trial and lose your job quickly. That's what's happened in one generation in our culture. So what do we do when when we see this turning slowly to the spirit of Rome? Well, God's got weapons, and I want to show you four of them in this text. Now, we don't live in a hard day like they did in this century. I mean, Herod's not come to cut off anybody's head. He's trying to cut off your rights right now, but but give it enough time, you cut your head off. So what do we do? Whether they're taking rights or life, this text gives us some insight. See these four weapons that God has. Number one, the first weapon is what I call servant leaders. Servant leaders. God always raises up people to stand for truth in the midst of a vexing climate. James is willing to die. Are you willing to die for the gospel? God may call on you to die for the gospel. Peter was willing to go to jail. You willing to go to jail for the gospel? Rhoda... She's the servant girl that answered the door. Rhoda was willing to serve the church. Are you willing to serve the church? Are you willing to serve when it's hard? Mary, thank God for Mary opened her house. This is in Jerusalem, and that was one of the chief meeting places. Mary opened her home. Are you willing to open your home for the glory of the gospel, or are you hiding behind the door? Some have to die. Some have to be jailed. Others have to serve, and some open their homes. What we must all do is dare to be a Daniel. You remember Daniel, Daniel chapter 6? They came and told him, said, you will not pray any more. Because they had gone to the ruler and said, sign a document if anybody prays to anybody except you. They'd be thrown in a lion's den. And the Bible says now when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, 
He entered his house. Now in his roof chamber, he had windows open toward Jerusalem. <laughs> what did he do? He said, well, I'm scared to death. They're going to do something. He continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God as he had been doing previously. It takes courage. God gives it. It takes faith. God gives it. It takes wisdom, but God will give it. God's raising up servants. I go see my mother every few days, and you know I've shared this before. Every time I drive across, I go out there, and I'm on the edge of the University of West Florida, and I'm praying, oh God, I saw him yesterday. There's a boy, or day before on Friday, there was a boy walking, his britches hanging down. He'd kind of loping along. I said, Lord, there's one. Make a preacher out of him. Raise him up. I don't know where God's going to reach. I know in the 60s he reached into a hippie culture and raised up a holy generation. Some of us didn't look too qualified. I pray, oh God, send revival. I sat Saturday on the steps of the old law building in Tuscaloosa where I prayed my son through law school. I sat there and I looked out across that quad. I said, oh God. Send one of these boys, send one of these boys to the pulpit with the gospel. Lord, if you don't do it here, I began to pray for college campuses that I know and I've been on all across. There's something going on at the college campus where I uh, graduated from up in Birmingham. I'm praying for that. There is a new movement of, I'm telling you, in the midst of a Herodian culture, God is raising up some servant leaders. Some of them are out of this next generation. It thrills my soul. And I say, oh, God, help me help them. Would you dare to be a Daniel today? Would you dare to be a Daniel? When this world says, hush, you ask God for wisdom and courage and faith to say, should I speak? Should I show? Should I go? Should I stand? Dare to be a Daniel. God knows we need some Daniels in our culture. First weapon God's got, he's got servantly. Secondly, he has ministering angels. Now, I know immediately some people are going to listen. They're going to say, well, you know, I don't know so much about this angelic business. Hmm. Well, Peter's in jail. Four squads of soldiers all around him. The Bible says, and I believe this book from Genesis to Maps The Bible says that the angel came and whacked him in the side, poked him, said, wake up. He got up, he said, put your shoes on, get your jacket. He doesn't get all his stuff because he wasn't coming back. Chains fell off, doors open, walked out, angels gone. He woke up. Hmm. And an angel had carried him through. Hmm. I'm here to tell you angels are real today. And if you'll begin to trust God, there's some things God will be about that will be miraculous in our life. It's angelic. But there's not just angels guarding us. When you get down to verses 20 through 23, there's another angel. 
Herod began to speak, and they began to say, Oh, he's a god. He wouldn't give him glory. And the Bible says an angel came and struck him with worms, and he died. I've done some wormology praying about the Ukraine and Russia. Now, I'm not in charge. I don't send angels. God does. But let me tell you, if God gets ready to take out a ruler, don't you worry about it. He's got his way of being about it. He sent angels to release his preacher. He sent angels to kill the king. And sometimes he blesses the king and kills the preacher. Angels. Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12 says, For he will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways, and they will bear you up in their hands that you do not strike your foot against a stone. He'll give his angels charge. I'm telling you, they're guardian angels. My mother used to tell me, you have a guardian angel. I pray for that guardian. She said, let me tell you, when you break the speed limit, he gets off the hood. What my mama used to tell me. The way people drive today, they're not any guardian angels on, on I-10, all right? They, they, they gone. But I'm telling you, God sends these guardian angels. But not only these angels guard you. Sometimes you don't even know when they're around. Hebrews says, Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 2, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers by, by, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. Uh, we use the old King James, entertain angels unaware. You, you're not even sh- aware that they're here. So be kind to those that bring a dollar. You don't know, you may be entertaining angels and just be unaware of And then in Luke 15, the Bible says, as he gives these illustrations about salvation, the same way I tell you there's a joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Every time time a sinner repents, and somebody gets saved, there is joy in the presence of angels. Who's in the presence of angels? God's in the God has got great joy, and angels long. Peter said they long to look into the things of redemption. Angels can't be saved. They don't need to be saved. But they long to look into it. And when people get saved, angels are in the middle of rejoicing. Hallelujah. Let me tell you, we need to be a little more angelic in our own life. It needs to be a shout in our soul when we see people come to faith in Christ. Angels. God has his servant leaders. He has ministering angels. Thirdly, third weapon God has is fervent prayer. Fervent prayer. Now look at it in verse number five. The Bible says, so Peter was kept in prison, but prayer was being made fervently by the church unto God. And then when you get to verse number 12, and when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was also called Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. They, they were there in Mary's house, and they're praying. And as I've already shared the story with you, that Rose came to the door. That's what her name Rhoda means. It means Rose. And, and Rose came to the door and, and saw him. Hallelujah! Peter's there! Hey, you're crazy! 
He must have been killed and his spirits come. They come back and they find Peter there and Peter says, shh. tell you what God's done because he knows they're about to get up and come after him and the Bible says this is a real word of wisdom right Peter does not go in the house he goes and stays somewhere else so he leaves that place where the prayer meeting is fervent there's some things about prayer in this text we need to understand it's congregational they prayed together Olive needs to pray together more often than we pray. Beginning January 1, we're going to enter another 20 days of prayer to start off the new year. You know, this year, January 1st is on Sunday. Christmas on Sunday. Just 98 days to Christmas. You got your stuff yet? Just a little over 100 days the first of the year. We get to January 1, we're going to kick it off here on January 1st right here, and we're going to pray for 20 days together. The congregation needs to pray. We need to pray congregate. We need to pray specifically. The Bible says they prayed for Peter. They prayed for him. You need the name of those things and be specific. They were earnest. They were earnest. They cried out unto God. They cried out unto God praying. Oh, the Bible says in 2 Chronicles chapter 16. Forgive me because I've given her the wrong verse. It's verse number nine, where the Bible says, the eyes of the Lord go to and fro across the whole earth, looking for one whose heart is completely his. And the Bible says that he will show then himself strong on our behalf. Becca, you can fix that before next service. It's verse nine, not verse six. But some of us are just like this verse. We're upside down in our praying. We need to take that six, make a nine out of it. You, you see, how good is she? She's already fixed it. Yeah. You see, the eyes of the Lord, they're, they're there. I used this verse in a wedding the other day. I was at Pensacola Country Club, and they, they had a wedding out there right on the Last hole. They set it up. And an eye doctor and an, and an ophthalmologist, this eye surgeon, and then an ophthalmologist, they got married. They're both in the eye business. I use this verse. I said, the eyes of the Lord. I said, I told him, I said, neither one of you will ever need to fix the eyes that are looking at you. But when you can't see, God's still looking at you. And if he can find your heart turned completely to him, he will show himself strong on your behalf. Even an eye doctor needs this verse. You need this verse. I'm, I'm here to tell you, God shows himself strong when, when our eyes are, when his eyes finds us completely turned toward him. And then Jesus tells us in Matthew 6, uh, just before we hear the Lord's Prayer, in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 6, the Bible says this, Jesus, but you when you pray, go to your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father 
who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So I just want to ask you, Olive, how's your prayer life? See, we're, we're pretty good about cussing CNN. And we're pretty good about having a rant against some politician we don't know. When's the last time you call the name of that politician that you're against unto the throne of heaven? The Bible says to pray for all your leaders. When have you brought your enemy's name before the Lord? When have you brought America before the Lord? When have you cried out, oh God? I don't mean, Lord, thank you for this food in Jesus' name, amen. I'm talking about if you've got a time. See, we're, we're not going to have revival until we cry out to the author of the good news more minutes than we watch the horrible news. God needs to raise us prayer warriors. And there's some of them in this church. They, they pray for me. Thank God. Every Sunday morning, I have deacons come pray over me. They did this morning. Grateful for those men that come and pray. But it's not just them. There are others that are praying. Well, I thank you for praying for your pastor. But you need, hear me, pray for revival in our churches. Pray for the wind of God to blow. And that we'd be attuned enough to know it when God shows up. God's weapons, servant leaders. God's weapon, ministering angels. God's weapon, fervent prayer. And then, God's weapon, the Word of God. Notice it right here. You see it in verse 24? But the Word of the Lord continued to grow and be multiplied. Amen. The word of the Lord. That word grow is the word oxano. Our young college students were in a conference this weekend, had it here last year. It's over at Hillcrest this year. We go together and we've done that with local churches. It's called oxano. It's that Greek word for grow and for it to multiply. The Word of God was growing. The Word of God should be growing in your life, just as in these students. You see the word, oxano, A-U-X-A-N-O. That, that's the word. Oxano, it means to grow. And, and you should be growing. And the Word of God should be growing in your life. You should be memorizing more of the Word of God. You should be living out more of the Word of God. You should be sharing and teaching more of the Word of God. So there is an oxano. There is a growth. There is a multiplication that is coming. Oh, the Word of God. The Bible says in Isaiah 55, verse 11, the Word of God never, never, never returns empty. See, I preach, and then most Sundays I walk right down here like I'm going to in a few minutes. We give what's called a gospel appeal, an invitation, a song that people come deciding for Christ, joining the church, being part there's some Sundays nobody comes.
I have people all the time that say, Pastor, it must be hard when nobody... I say, well, I don't like it. I'd rather people come as not. But you mark this down. If you teach the Word of God, if nobody... I'm telling you, the Word of God's doing its work. He never returns back empty or void, as the Bible said. It, It always is doing the work that God has for it to do because he never sleeps he never slumbers and the word of God the word of God the word of God continually 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 is doing the work that God sent it out to do it is one of the most powerful weapons the world has ever known in 1917 America was facing war Many of us know about the Second World War because we have a few connections to it. Some of you in this service might have even been old enough to be a part of that. But all of our World War I veterans, of course, are gone. But in 1917, there was a European battlefront that was rising up. Theodore Roosevelt, Teddy, who had been president, was now retired. He at that time, maybe still, was the youngest president ever elected. You know, he ran with McKinley, and then McKinley only lived for a short period of time, and Roosevelt became president. He was elected later Still a young man had much to do and was traveling the world. The old rough rider. I found something about Roosevelt this week I, I didn't know. In 1917, the New York Bible Society, bet you didn't even know there was one. Did you know New York had a Bible Society? You don't usually hear Bible in New York in the same sentence, do you? But the New York Bible Society asked the former president, Theodore Roosevelt, to pin a message that they could put in the front of the pocket New Testaments that they were going to give every warrior headed to the battlefront of World War I. And he wrote, and he started with a scripture. Micah 6, 8. He has shown you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, but to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Roosevelt wrote that this verse foreshadows everything the New Testament tells us. And that you, I exhort you men, lead in both word and deed through unimpeachable moral uprightness. And here was his message that he wrote. Don't you know that a president in our culture today would write these words? No. He said, gentlemen, do justice. Therefore, fight valiantly against those who stand for the reign of Molech and Beelzebub. 
in this earth. Men, love mercy. Treat your enemies well. Succor the afflicted. Treat every woman as if she were your sister. Care for the little children and be tender with the old and helpless. Walk humbly, and you will do so if you study the life and teachings of the Savior, walking in his steps. And Roosevelt concluded his message with these words. Remember, men, the most perfect machinery of government will not keep us as a nation from destruction if there is not within us a soul. No abounding material prosperity shall avail as if our spiritual senses atrophy. The foes of our own household will surely prevail against us unless there be in our people an inner life which finds its outward expression in a morality like unto that preached by the seers and prophets of God when the grandeur was Greece and the glory that was Rome still lay in the future. What he's saying is the New Testament preachers came before the glory of Greece and Rome and we need to be living in the teaching of the apostles and the prophets. My Lord, a president of the United States, writing such words. Micah 6, 8 still stands. Roosevelt dead and gone. But that's the need of the hour in a place called America. I've seen it all over social media this week. Pew, P-E-W, not pew. P-E-W, like you sit on. Pew Research, who looks at statistics all across. I've seen it over and over and over and over. Matter of fact, I had two people send it to me and say, Pastor, look at this. This is awful. Pew Research says if we statistically in America continue to go on the road that we are on now, we will continue to the year 2050, 2050, less than 30 years, 2050, that Christianity will be a minority in America. Pastor, this is awful. I, I sent back to this gentleman, I said, well, let me tell you two things. I said, number one, Bible Christianity is a minority now. We may have more than 50% check the box Christian, but I'm telling you, we don't have 50% in America living the Christian life. Goodness no. I said, number one, we're already there. I said, number two, take hope. Well, it's a great time for revival when you get in a minority position. I said, we may get to the place where we quit trusting Washington and start trusting the Lord God Almighty. Amen. And the wind of God would blow and the Lord do more in a minute than we can do in a millennium. Raise up. I'm telling you, I see a generation out here at this campus at West Falls. I see them on Tuesday night. They're coming in and I'm... There's a young man, he's from, well, I'm going to tell you, he may know who he is, but 
there's a young man, he's here and he's out. And he goes across that campus. On to, he invites everybody he can. He said, will y'all let me take the bus? I'll load this bus with people. He sends that bus out there. On to, he loads people up on that bus and brings them to Crossroads on Tuesday night. I look at him, tall, skinny, old long curly hair. I told him, I said, we have some things in common. You're tall and skinny. I've never been that. I said, but I had that hair. You let this hair just get a little bit long. Boy, it gets curly. Doesn't get very curly back here, but it. <laughs> see, this, that's what Baptists would do to you right there. <laughs> Amen. But I look at that young man and I see such fervor for souls and I say, Lord God, you're doing it. You're answering our prayer. You're raising them up. Raising them up. I really believe the wind of God's going to blow. And we're going to see revival come. I believe with all my soul. R.T. Kendall. 86 years old. He says the next thing on God's celestial calendar is a worldwide revival. That old man, he, he couldn't run. But Lord, does he preach and pray? Look, you still got your Bible open? Look at the last verse. Look at the last verse. This is it right here. All that happened, these weapons, with, with these servant leaders, glory to God, ministering angels, fervent prayer, and the Word of God. And the Bible says in verse 25, after all that happened, Barnabas and Saul returned to Jerusalem. And when they had fulfilled their mission, taking along with them John, who is also called Mark. Now, now watch this. Watch this. This is the next to the last time you're going to see the word Jerusalem in the book of Acts. You're going to see it one more time. They're going to gather in chapter 15, and after that, Jerusalem's gone. Jerusalem's gone. Antioch is headquarters. God's moved the church headquarters from Jerusalem to Antioch. He's doing a brand new thing. God doesn't deal with Jerusalem again, but he's going to. If y'all been there, you've seen that eastern gate, it's blocked up. They got the eastern gate blocked. Let me tell you, there's a man coming, no roadblock can stop. And he's going to come in that eastern gate. 
Glory to God, he is. He promised he's coming back to Jerusalem. But on from now until then, we should be with Saul and Barnabas fulfilling our mission and finding a John Mark and teaching him and taking him. And when we see he's difficult, we train him up and we take him with us. Even if we divide ways as Paul and Silas did, we see that happen. But together we go forward with the gospel until the king comes in the eastern gate. It is our job to persist and prevail die if need be, go to jail if need be, open our homes if need be, be a servant if need be. Oh, God, raise up a church in the middle of a nation that's heretical and godless and Herodian and make us to be the heroes of the faith until Jesus comes again. That's what God's looking for in his church. Blessed be the name. Give him praise this morning, church. Hallelujah, what a Savior. He's reaching and touching. There's a little girl in this church. Now I'm done. You ready to come join this church? Say amen. You ready to come get saved? Just, just come. John's getting ready to sing. And when he sings, I want you to come. There's a little girl in this church. She's high school senior this year. And she became my friend. She's just about that tall. I met a man the other day, and he said, I'm called her now. I'm her granddaddy. I said, well, I'm going to like you because I love her. This morning, I was standing out here greeting people that came in. A young boy came by, and he said, I'm her brother. It's gotten around the preacher loves this little girl. <laughs> and they keep saying, you know, I, I'm, I'm, well, amen. That little girl is on fire for Jesus. I mean, she is going, going, going for Jesus. <laughs> and I do love her. Because I'm watching God raise up that little girl, big Isaac standing up here, living for God. John's son, living for God. His son's plural, living for God. I got a group of young ones tonight going to go with me. I'm going to preach over in West Mobile Baptist Church. And I said, all right, guys, come. We're going to learn tonight how to be the guest preacher. That'll be the training time tonight. You go with me. We'll. Do you know, there, there's, there's ways to be the guest preacher, and there's ways not to be the guest preacher. If you do it wrong, you don't get invited back. I got some people I don't invite back. Okay. Don't tell me you got to have sparkling water over here. I, it's, it. Can't you just see old Peter down there in the prison? Says, you know, if I had some sparkling water, I could really do. <laughs> My Lord, have mercy. There's a cup and a tap. Get you a drink. My Lord. So there's the right way. What you got to do is get under the spout where the glory comes out till God touches your soul. And then God will send us where we need to be. Well, I done preach right through the invitation. I'm telling you, day's going to come when we, we've got to live out this message. It, it may not be today, but I'm telling you, there's a day coming. We've got to live this out. Because the nation of Herod rises among us. 
But greater is he that's in us than the one that's in the world. Oh, church, you got to stand, stand, stand in grace and truth. Amen. Thank you for joining us in worship at Olive Baptist Church. For more information about Olive, visit olivebaptist.org or contact us by email at info at olivebaptist.org. We look forward to hearing from you, and we'll see you next time at A Place Called Olive.